only three days left to leave a review with the keyword taboo and you'll be put into a drawing to receive a $50 gift card to the restaurant or coffee shop of your choice. So please rate taboo and murder and screenshot me the review. Deal? All right. So this is a quick little episode, mental illness versus cancer. What the fuck, right? Well, just follow me for this very short thought process. Okay. Oh, and this is Ashley, the host of Taboo and Murder. I'm going to do some short format pods that are intended to be shareable with your friends that maybe don't sit directly with you in the Venn diagram of life. So I'm going to record an episode explaining some of the new language used to refer to non-conforming gender, sexual preferences, and any words that are culturally inappropriate for us to use. Feel free to share with your grandma. They're not Oriental's grandma. They're Asian. Oriental is only safe to say when you're referring to a rug as a general rule, okay? Okay. But today I want to talk about two diseases and the way we process those diseases, the way we treat people with such diseases, and the way that contributes to the care the individual receives. Now, statistics are all over the fucking map, and I'm not going to try to quantify if cancer is more deadly than mental illness. Frankly, the underreporting of mental illness is a huge contributing factor in this decision. While almost everyone that has a battle with cancer has a record of treatment, the same can't be said about mental health. Here's a kick in the nuts, as the kids say. When I was 16 years old, I started to present symptoms of mental illness. What form? Let me count the ways. But seriously, I recognized the symptoms. I took myself to the doctor and I was diagnosed with generalized anxiety. They sent me home with a Paxil script. I took that for several years until it stopped working and I weaned off, blah, blah, blah. Fast forward to last week, 18 years later from my first diagnosis. So on January 21st of this year, 2019, after 18 years of seeing doctors, therapists, psychologists, and psychiatrists, I was diagnosed with OCD. It all clicked in that conversation. My anxiety, my depression, my postpartum depression, PTSD, all my mental health issues can circle back to OCD. And that was untreated for over half of my life. I left that appointment hopeful that my new med would be the missing piece to my brain puzzle. I'm still working my way up to a full dose, so we'll see. But after about five minutes, I started crying in the car on the way home. How many doctors had I seen? How many intake forms had I filled out saying the same shit? Why have I spent half of my life not treating a part of my mental health package? How much of my best life have I missed out on? So the standard process for a person seeking mental health services, and this is assuming that this is not an emergency setting, um, where that would not be applicable. So this is a best case scenario. Patient goes to the GP, general practitioner doctor. That GP will most likely prescribe Zoloft, aka sertraline, with then a referral to a psychiatrist, hopefully. Said psychiatrist will be booked out two months, if you're lucky, only two months. Then you see him or her. You're there for an hour. Your doctor is staring at the computer trying to figure out what they can do to adjust your cocktail if you're a seasoned med taker like me. Maybe a med adjustment and then see you in a few months. Oh, and are you in therapy still? I ask because I will send the new meds over. If not, see the front desk for your next appointment. Now contrast that with cancer. 
let's say breast cancer because everybody knows somebody with breast cancer. You go to the doctor for a routine checkup. The doctor finds a lump. Unworried, he or she schedules a biopsy just to be sure. The doctor calls you with the results and unfortunately it's malignant. The doctor instructs you to make an appointment with the surgeon. You get a call from the surgical office that day. You'll have the tumor removed next week. Your doctors will then assess if further treatments such as chemotherapy or radiation are needed. You will then be checked at three, six, or 12-month increments. So in this example, a medical team runs this show to save your life. Contrast that with mental health care. The patient is the advocate from day one. Every single interaction with a doctor is more difficult than it needs to be. And of course, there will be doctors that want to prescribe rainbows, sunshine, and oils that they own stock in. And have you heard about our guided meditation? Yeah, no fucking way your insurance will cover it, but it's a great way to help your mental illness naturally. It's only $175 for 30 minutes. So, as you loyal listeners know, I've already done an episode on the stigma and taboo surrounding mental illness and the negative and deadly impacts that has on societies across the globe. Oh my god, I'm just remembering this. There is this insanely powerful podcast on this man in China, I want to say Nan King, um, who patrols this one particular bridge looking for would-be jumpers. In over 10 years, he has saved over 300 people from taking their own lives. And he just goes up and down this bridge and he can just sense who needs, who's going to try to jump. And sometimes he's there at the last second. Sometimes he can identify them while they're contemplating. Anyway, I think it's an episode of This American Life, but just Google it, find it. It's an amazing story. Oh, and one more thought. Oh, this is going to turn into a rant and I was trying not to do that. I have nothing against CBD oil, marijuana, or psilocybin, etc. for mental health care. But I think it's incredibly irresponsible for MLMers to tout the benefits of these oils and encourage people to stop poisoning themselves with medicine. You people are not doctors. What the fuck business do you have telling someone to stop taking their life-saving medication so that you can make a couple bucks selling oils? Shame on you. Sell your shit. But it's unethical to say that your snake oils are a cure. I'm just waiting for the first lawsuit after someone goes off their meds, relies on CBD oil, and then kills themselves or others. If you're not a fucking doctor, don't prescribe or unprescribe medicine. Deal? I honestly don't know how Big Pharma has allowed this to happen. Where are you, lobbyists? So today, I'm going to assume that we're all on the same page about stripping the taboo and stigma from mental health care. We all know cancer is deadly and we treat it with the urgency it deserves, throwing millions of dollars at one patient within a few weeks at times. Mental illness. It's fucking deadly too. I said no stats, but I'm a liar. I have a few here I must share because they're startling and I remember them off the top of my head from my last research. So let's start with schizophrenia which the media in Hollywood love to play with. So there's a lot of exaggeration there, but also a lot of um, nuance in schizophrenia. So I'm going to use that um, to try to strip the taboo of schizophrenia even more. Suicide is unfortunately one of the leading causes of death for people with schizophrenia. Upwards of 40% of people 
that have schizophrenia will attempt suicide at least once. Males with schizophrenia attempt suicide at a much higher rate than females. Approximately 60% of them will make at least one attempt. The result of these attempts is that between 10 and 15% of people with schizophrenia have historically committed suicide. So 10%, 15%, if we were talking about cancer, imagine the amount of research that would be going into saving those people's lives if it were so deadly. Additionally, how many people have committed suicide afflicted by schizophrenia, but undiagnosed. We will never know. So from the Mayo Clinic website, here's the process for treating schizophrenia. And keep in mind, that is just one mental illness. I've only highlighted one to compare to cancer, but bipolar, disassociative identity disorder, depression, and other mental illnesses follow a similar trajectory for receiving care. All the while, there's a battle with the insurance company. I spent the last two months trying to get a new med approved by my insurance. After endless phone calls between the pharmacy, my doctor, and insurance, one new med would be $1,800 a month. So I told my insurance provider I'll just stay a little more mentally ill. So, Mayo. Diagnosis of schizophrenia involves ruling out other mental health disorders and determining that symptoms are not due to substance abuse, medication, or a medical condition. Determining a diagnosis of schizophrenia may include, and before I go on, I'll say a lot of times people with schizophrenia are using substances to abuse to try to deal with their schizophrenia. It's a cyclical poisonous circle. So keeping the person that may be experiencing paranoid delusions that he or she should stay at the doctor and that medical staff isn't trying to inject microphones and trackers into their body. Oh, that was my note. Okay, so yeah, <laughs> a little context. A lot of people um, in the media anyway and in Hollywood are portrayed as paranoid schizophrenics and they usually like to cite the trope of like, you're trying to put microphones in me or the FBI is listening to me, blah, blah, blah. So, of course, in a medical setting where there are doctors and everybody is um, there with all of their like medical gear, somebody that is in that situation is only going to be more worked up and um, in their reality assured that um, their delusions are real. Anyway, back to the real brains, the Mayo Clinic, and that wasn't disparaging. They, their shit's real. So physical exam. This may be done to help rule out other problems that could be causing symptoms and to check for any related complications. So then they do tests and screenings. These um, will help rule out other similar conditions and screen for drugs and alcohol. They may use MRI or CT scans. There'll be a psychiatric evaluation. A doctor or mental health professional checks mental status by observing appearance and demeanor and asking about thoughts, moods, delusions, hallucinations, substance use, and potential for violence or suicide. This also includes a discussion of family and personal history. Diagnostic criteria for schizophrenia. A doctor or mental health professional may use the criteria in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, the DSM-5, published by the American Psychi Psychiatric Institute. 
So the treatment of schizophrenia requires lifelong treatment, even when symptoms have subsided. Treatment with medications and psychosocial therapy can help manage the condition. In some cases, hospitalization may be needed. So why the fuck are we not treating schizophrenia as a deadly disease in need of immediate and ongoing treatment? It's fucking deadly for up to 15% of those that suffer from the disease. A a psychiatrist experience in in treating schizophrenia usually guides treatment. The treatment team also may include a psychologist, social worker, psychiatric nurse, and possibly a case manager to coordinate care. The full-term approach, oh, excuse me, the full-team approach may be available in clinics with expertise in schizophrenia treatment, but if you have private insurance, you're fucked. That's my note. So after the lobotomobile was done with the ice pick lobotomy, a move toward medication took hold. Google, right now, ice pick through the eye lobotomy. Not responsible for any nausea that results, okay? Medications are the cornerstone of schizophrenia treatment, and antipsychotic medications are the most commonly prescribed drugs. They're thought to control symptoms by affecting the brain neurotransmitter dopamine. We need to come up with a better term than antipsychotic drugs. A woman dealing with postpartum depression doesn't need to be asked, do you think you would benefit from this antipsychotic medication? Like, what the fuck, doctor? I'm just sad all the time and have no energy. Now I'm psychotic too? And that leads back to the taboo and stigma. Words have meaning. Let's rebrand antipsychotic, okay? The goal of treatment with antipsychotic medications is to effectively manage signs and symptoms of the at the lowest possible dose. The psych, so basically, let's try to keep you level without making you a drooling zombie. That was what they did for like everybody up until 1950. The psychiatrist may try different drugs, different doses, or combinations. We call it cocktails. Over time, to achieve the desired result, other medications also may help, such as antidepressants or anti-anxiety drugs. It can take several weeks to notice an improvement in symptoms. Yep, I'm on the process of starting one now. Fun. Because medications for schizophrenia can cause serious side effects, people with schizophrenia may be reluctant to take them. Willingness to cooperate with treatment may affect drug choice. For example, someone who is resistant to taking medications consistently may need to be given injections instead of taking a pill. Ask your doctor about the benefits and side effects of any medication that's prescribed. Unless it's a CBD oil. Um, so then there are also um, psychosocial interventions um, and individual therapy, social skills training, family therapy, um, vocalization, rehabilitation, um, and support for employment. And all I'll say to that is good fucking luck getting your insurance to cover any of this. And good luck finding employment flexible enough for your continued healthcare needs. Every facet of our society is set up to ensure failure, which is why we see so many mentally ill people that are homeless and dying prematurely. Back to mail. Hospitalization. During crisis periods or times of severe symptoms, hospitalization may be necessary to ensure safety, proper nutrition, adequate sleep, and basic hygiene. Electroconvulsive therapy. I touched on this in my last mental health um, episode, but 
just real quick over um, overview. For adults with schizophrenia who do not respond to drug therapy, electroconvulsive therapy ECT may be considered. ECT may be helpful for some people that have depression. The Mayo has a section for support persons, basically the people responsible for keeping the person suffering from schizophrenia on their treatment plan. So learn about schizophrenia, educate about the disorder, and help motivate the person with the disease to stick to their treatment plan, blah, 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 blah. If I were to read this entire thing, it would basically say, um, drop everything that you are doing and monitor this person every second of the day. The questions that will be asked What's likely causing the symptoms or condition? What are the other possible causes of the symptoms or condition? What kinds of tests are needed? These are all questions that the caregiver of the patient are supposed to ask. In my mind, this is a job that should be a full-time job. There should be a full-time care attendant, like a nurse, that is overseeing these protocols. We would never expect somebody to say, hey, make sure your family member is doing their chemo, okay? And make sure that they're doing their radiation and all this shit, all this responsibility falls on you, okay? So make sure your loved one stays safe and alive, right? Oh, it's just insane to me. So why isn't mental health treated like the deadly disease that it is? Is it stigma, taboo, insurance companies, big pharma? I have my ideas, but I'll save them. I want this episode to serve as a conversation starter. When someone has cancer, we're there for them physically and emotionally. We recognize their disease. We don't shame the patient for having mutating cells that have gone rogue. We can separate the disease and the patient. With mental illness, we define the patient by their disease. Does this contribute to the continued stigma? Like alcoholism, we think there are choices being made, therefore the disease is less real. I hope that you start turning these questions over in your head and maybe even spark some conversations around the subject. Like any taboo subject, simply talking about it without shame will help lift the taboo. Six years ago, I learned this lesson organically as I started my baby loss fertility journey. And since then, I've seen just how ingrained certain taboos are in our culture. And I'm here to say, fuck that. Thank you for listening to this mini episode of Taboo and Murder. I hope it inspires some interesting conversations. Thanks for listening.